Life lessons, part one. Acts 15, beginning at verse 36, going on into chapter 16 as far as verse two. The verses which we will look at this morning begin to describe part of Paul's second missionary journey. The whole journey, this second journey, took four years, A.D. 50 to 53. So roughly the church of Jesus Christ at the time of the second missionary journey is about 50 to 53 years old. All of the action of the second missionary journey takes place in what geographically we might call the end of the earth. You remember the promise that was made to the believers in Jerusalem after the resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus is that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me, Jesus says, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus predicted that the power of the Holy Spirit would become resident within believers in him. Why? So that they, we, would become witnesses to Christ. We don't have divine power for a purpose other than being witnesses for Jesus Christ. And when we come to Acts 15 and the second missionary journey, clearly the action is taking place not in Jerusalem, not in Judea and Samaria, but rather in the ends of the earth's territory, in Gentile country. As I work through the verses before us today, I'm gonna stop to make observation, what does the text say, and application, what difference does the text make in life? I'm going to call these observation applications life lessons, and I have six life lessons from our verses to show you today. Let's begin reading then at Acts 15, 36, and I'll read 36 and 37 to begin with. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Barnabas was willing to go on a second missionary journey with Paul, but he really believed and wanted that his cousin, John Mark, would go along with them on this second missionary journey. The problem was, the rub was, the friction was, the disagreement was that by this point in the ministry, the young man John Mark had deserted Paul and Barnabas sometime in the first missionary journey in a place called Perga. We can see that in going back to chapter 13 and verse 13, you can see and read about this desertion. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now whatever reason John Mark gave to the Apostle Paul for deserting and leaving them in the midst of a ministry journey, Paul didn't buy the reason as being valid. Whatever John Mark said was his reason for deserting the missionaries, Paul did not accept. And that's why he didn't want John Mark to go with him on a second missionary journey. Back to chapter 15, 37 to 38. 
Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had deserted from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. This brings us to our first life lesson. It may be a no-brainer, but here's the life lesson I see in these verses. Most usually, quitting has consequences. Most usually, quitting has consequences. That's true of school. You quit school, you have consequences. That's true of a job, you quit your job, it has consequences. That's true of churches, you walk away from a church and quit it, it has consequences. It's true of marriage, you walk away and quit on a marriage, it has consequences. It's true of ministries, when you step and give up on being a minister and functioning with your spiritual gift in a local body of believers, it has consequences. Most often, quitting brings negative consequences, but sometimes quitting can bring positive consequences. The believer in Christ who gets saved and quits smoking. The Christian who stops drinking and is no longer an alcoholic. Certain quitting of habitual sins and unholy living can bring the positive of having a good testimony and uh, having God be glorified in your life. But what I want us to see that relative to this concept of quitting is that in the plan and in the grace of God, John Mark's quitting on the first missionary journey wound up causing more regions to be reached for Christ because one pair of preachers went one way and a second pair of preachers went a different way and of course that was positive gain for the gospel and the fledging church. Now, I want you to think about it from where you're sitting and listening. I want you to think about a time that you have quit something. Can you think about a time when you quit something? Did positive or negative come out of that particular quitting? It might be either. And let me ask you, while you're still thinking about a time when you have quit, did you ever quit something that had zero consequences? <laughs> I don't think so. And so before we decide to quit, we need to make it a matter of prayer, and we need to consider seriously the likely consequences of quitting whatever we are contemplating quitting. We go on. Verses 39 to 40. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Barnabas and Paul split over their disagreement about John Mark, Paul and Barnabas, who once were a team on the first missionary journey, decided mutually to split. They stopped being a missionary team for the second journey. And as we saw last sermon, their split was quite ironic since there had just been a big church council in Jerusalem, Acts 15, which called the Gentile and the Jewish believers in the church to get along to be one happy church. Well, what happened after these missionaries split up from each other? The text tells us that Barnabas and John Mark went about 150 miles southwest 
by boat and got to the island of Cyprus. Whereas Paul and Silas went about 150 miles northwest and they wound up in the province of Cilicia. Who was right? Barnabas or Paul? (laughs) Scripture doesn't tell us. Scripture doesn't make that judgment for us. But Scripture does report that the sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul did eventually get resolved, as Pastor Drew pointed out at the end of the service last week, for which I was so grateful. This sharp disagreement between the Apostle Paul and John Mark because John Mark had deserted Paul in the first missionary journey, that estrangement was healed before Paul went to heaven. In Colossians 4.10, Paul was imprisoned in Rome as he wrote. He wrote this, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. Watch, if he comes to you, welcome him. Here near the end of the Apostle Paul's life, he had a favorable impression of John Mark, a young man that once did not have a favorable opinion about. But there's more. In the last letter of the New Testament before Paul was beheaded, 2 Timothy, near the end of that letter, the Apostle Paul also references John Mark in a loving and warm, affectionate way when he says in 2 Timothy 4.11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry. Isn't that something? There was a time in, in the history of these two servants of the Lord that the one servant, Paul, said, you're not useful to my ministry on the second journey because you divert, uh, departed from me and deserted me in my first journey ministry. At the end of his life, he says, bring him with you to me in my jail cell because he's useful for ministry. He sure is. <laughs> God used John Mark to inspire, be inspired to give us the second gospel of the New Testament. This is the Mark that was moved along by the Holy Spirit to write the second gospel, the gospel of Mark in our Bibles, of course. He was very useful for ministry to Paul, but he remains useful for ministry to the likes of us who benefit from the scripture that he wrote, the gospel of Mark. So life lesson one. Most usually, quitting has consequences. Let's go to life lesson two. Sometimes the Lord divides to multiply. Sometimes the Lord divides to multiply. This sharp disagreement over John Mark caused there to be two missionary teams instead of one. And the two missionary teams ministered in two different areas. And this caused the already advancing church to advance even more and even more rapidly into the ends of the earth country, into Gentile country around the Mediterranean basin. God often multiplies by dividing. In that instance, the Lord allowed division and he caused multiplication the day could easily come with our small groups that 
one or more of our 10 current small groups get to a size that is too big, we've decided as elders that this groups will be maximum of 15 persons. It's possible that in the 10 existing groups, any one or more of the groups will want to be going beyond the 15. If that's the case, we'll have to divide. But that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because with the Lord, often division is multiplication. God caused divisions. I'm not talking about wrangling and sinful, carnal, misbehaving between Christians in a church. I'm not talking about that kind of division. I'm talking about God accomplished division is a blessing when it happens. And in this context, God caused division was a blessing in that it multiplied the gospel's proclamation and it multiplied the number of gospel witnesses. Yes, sometimes the Lord divides to multiply. Life lesson number three. This is very important life lesson. Opinions are different than convictions. Your opinion is different than your conviction. My opinion is different than my conviction. Opinions are different than convictions because opinions are weaker than convictions. Opinions often change. Convictions shouldn't change. Opinions are personal preferences. Convictions are biblical certainties. You know, I may not cross the street for my opinions. Wendy's versus Burger King. I may not bother to cross the street for my opinion about fast food that day, but I would die for my convictions. I would not renounce Christ. I would die for my convictions. Opinions are different than convictions. Let me give you an example. When I was a young man, my theology was not fully developed, and our family was part of a Presbyterian church, and I didn't understand many things, but when I came to understand that God was calling me to the ministry, the pastoral ministry, I was getting a more of a sense of what the Presbyterian Church in Canada believed. And basically at that time in the 80s, back in Toronto, the Presbyterian Church of Canada said that the time was coming in the next year or two that no person would be ordained in that denomination except they affirmed the ordination of women. And I had the conviction that that is not biblical. And so I withdrew from the Presbyterian Church to find a church that shared the conviction that I found in Scripture, and that set me on a whole different path. That was a conviction. Let me give you an example of an opinion. When Beth and I were in Dallas Seminary, before we settled on a church, we visited some other churches, evangelical churches. And there was a church that only observed the Lord's Supper twice a year, every six months. My preference, my opinion, is that's not frequently enough. 
But that's an opinion that I would hold loosely versus a conviction about the role of women in the church based on scripture that I held tightly. We didn't wind up becoming members of the church in Dallas that only had the Lord's Supper twice a year, but that's, that was a, an instance of an opinion versus a conviction. Back to Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas had differing opinions about John Mark. They had different preferences relative to John Mark, and neither one of them changed the other's mind. They both went on ministering the gospel, planting churches in different places with different ministry partners based on their particular opinions without either of them sinning. We know that it was a preference and an opinion because Paul is not cited in the explanation of the sharp disagreement that he had sinned, that John Mark had sinned and broken the law of God. Some principle of the Old Testament scriptures, that's not cited. It was a preference, an opinion-based disagreement. And here's the thing. We all would do very well to pray and to think Especially right now, if we have a current disagreement with a brother or a sister in Christ, if we have a current disagreement with a brother or a sister in Christ, we would do well to pray and to think, is the crux of my disagreement with her or him an opinion or a conviction? Is the basis for the disagreement between us, scripture or preference? That has to be sorted out. And of course, to correctly sort them out, these disagreements one by one, one disagreement at a time, you need and I need to check whether the basis of this disagreement is or isn't scripture. And when, with God's help and the Bible's help, you've got all of your disagreements with other Christians properly sorted, hold on to your O's, your opinions, lightly. Give room for someone else to have a different O, a different opinion than yours. Agree to disagree in love over the differing opinions you have. Compromise. In contrast, when you sort through the basis, the reason for any disagreement with another Christian, if you conclude that the reason you have a difference with another Christian is not opinion, but it's what you believe that the Bible teaches, and it's your conviction that gives you a disagreement with another Christian, Hold on to your convictions strongly. Don't apologize for them. Believe and live out your convictions. Stand on your convictions. Stand with truth and love. And don't compromise. Compromise about differing opinions. Don't compromise about differing convictions. Opinions are different than convictions. 
So far, we've considered three life lessons. Number one, most usually quitting has consequences. Number two, sometimes the Lord divides to multiply. Third, opinions are different than convictions. Let's go on to lesson four. To do so, reading verses 39 to 41. Then, contention came, the, the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sicilia strengthening the churches. Verse 1 of chapter 16. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. Derbe and Lystra were cities in the province of Galatia. And the province of Galatia was the neighbor province to Sicilia. There, Paul and Silas were blessed to meet an exceptional young believer named Timothy. Probably Timothy at that time when he met the Apostle Paul was a teenager or maybe at the most in his early 20s. He was young, but he was exceptional in several spiritual ways. Number one, He was already a disciple of Christ. I see that in verse 1a of chapter 16. Number two, Timothy's mother was a Jew who converted to believing in and following Jesus Christ. I see that in verse one of chapter 16. Number three, Timothy's father, who probably was deceased, was a Gentile, so Timothy was both Jewish and Gentile. I see that in verse one. That means that he could minister to both parts of the church, both to the Jewish believers in Christ and to the Gentile believers in Christ. Fourth thing that made Timothy exceptional, he was plugged into the churches in Lystra and Iconium. I see that in verse two. He knew the persons, the believers in these house churches in Lystra and Iconium, and the persons in those house churches also knew Timothy. Timothy was also exceptional in that, number five, he allowed himself to be circumcised according to verse three. This ensured acceptance of him by the Jews and especially gave him access into Jewish synagogues to share the gospel. And so the lesson, the third lesson, is that opinions are different than convictions. And our fourth lesson, based on Timothy, there is significant ministry for young persons to do. The Lord says to in the letter that was written to young pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 12 to 16, which says... Paul writing to the young pastor Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, 
for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. The salvation here that you will save both yourself and those who hear you is not salvation from sin and hell, but it's salvation from the damage which false teachers would want to do espousing false doctrine. And so the young man, Timothy, was commended by the Apostle Paul to meaningful, vital ministry. That commendation was to a historic, literal, young pastor, but I would say there's also broader application. Young Christians in our assembly, children, teenagers, college age, the young believers in our assembly are very significant to God, and they ought to be very significant to each of us. They can be examples, verse 12. They can publicly read scripture, verse 13. They can exhort, verse 13. They can teach, verses 13 and 16. And they have spiritual gifts, verse 14. And so please take out of your vocabulary the thought that children and young persons are the future church. No, they are part of the present church with spiritual gifts that are needed in our body. Young believers are not the future church. They are to function in the current church even when they are young in some ways. We are blessed to have believing children. I see them in the choir. I see them in Sunday school. I see them in Awana. We are blessed to have younger persons who already trust Jesus, already love Jesus, and already are starting to follow Jesus with their all. May these precious children and teenagers grow in grace in the knowledge of their Lord and Savior in our ministry. And may Sunday school and may Awana be used of God to reach more children and more young people with the gospel of Christ. Amen? Amen. There's a fifth life lesson, and it's in Acts 16, verse 2. He, Timothy, was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. The lesson is also a no-brainer, but it's this. Persons can really only endorse persons they know. Persons can really only endorse persons that they know. The flip side of that coin is also true. Repeatedly visiting many different churches or only sporadically attending one church leaves you virtually unendorsable. You would be amazed. Our beautiful building, which is of quite a size, on one of the main downtown thoroughfares of Nassau, the capital of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas, you would be surprised how many people ring the doorbell and ask to tell their story looking for financial assistance? What would surprise you even more of the, than the volume of those folks coming is what the conversation usually goes like. It usually goes like this. They tell me what they need. And then I say, tell me, what is your home church? And then so often, the person says, I don't have one. I visit around all the different churches. I says, so that means you don't know any one particular church, and no one particular church knows you either. 
right? I guess that's right, Pastor. I said, you put me in a very difficult position because what you're telling me could be absolutely true or you could be lying through your teeth and I don't know which it is because I don't know you. One of the advantages to being a member of this church is that you are known by the pastor and the elders and the deacons and the other members. And so when a need arises, we know it's legitimate and we help. We're a family. We're a family. The other thing that happens to me a lot, and not just me, but any pastor is asked to write reference letters from time to time. Reference letters about general character, employment, short-term mission trips, colleges and Bible college admissions, scholarships, etc. What do you do when you're a pastor and someone asks you to write a reference letter and you really don't know them? They haven't let you shepherd their souls. You've never been able to see them serving the Lord in the body. What do you do? It's difficult. Because whatever I do, I must do with integrity before God. I can't make up things about you that I don't know are are true. I won't. You can only really endorse persons that you know. Young Timothy, it said in the text, was well spoken of because he was well known. He was well spoken of in those two local churches because he was well known by those two local churches. He had been observed by them. He had been tried and tested by them. He had been proving himself to them over time. And here in verse two of chapter 16, the Greek word which is translated well spoken of can also be translated witnessed to. Witnessed to. Let me ask you. Who is witness to who you are? Who is witness to your faith, to your Christian character, to your marriage, to your family, to your work, to your speech? Who is witness to your promises made? I'm beating the small group drum quite often, but if you were to be in a small group with time, they would be witnesses to you, to who you really are. And they would be in a position to endorse you if you needed a letter of reference. Our last life lesson is life lesson six, which is, Sometimes giving up the use of one's rights and freedoms in Christ serves a bigger purpose. Sometimes the giving up of the use of some of your rights and freedoms in Christ serves a bigger purpose than you. The Jerusalem Council, you'll recall, had ruled that a person like Timothy did not have to be circumcised. 
But Timothy allowed himself to be circumcised. Why? To be walking through more open Jewish doors for him to share Christ. Young Timothy had the same ministry outlook in this matter as did the seasoned Apostle Paul. The seasoned Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.22 said this, and to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. For the Apostle Paul, evangelism and not the use and the claiming of his own personal rights and freedoms was at the forefront of his mind. He was more concerned that lost people would hear the gospel and respond in faith to Christ and be eternally saved than having his own particular rights and freedoms that he had in Christ being demanded by him. And to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. No insistence on his own rights or freedoms, rather an other's orientation for the sake of evangelism. When you think about it, young Timothy and seasoned Paul gave up the rights and freedoms which were theirs in a very, very, very small way compared to the use of the rights and freedoms which the Lord Jesus Christ gave up which were his. Philippians 2 Five to eight, listen to what the Lord Jesus, the, the, the use of his divine rights and prerogatives that he didn't use them. He set the use of them aside. Philippians 2, five to eight, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the very form of God did not regard it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Oh yes, we have the perfect example to copy when we're in the position that we either will claim and demand and insist on the use of our rights and freedoms in Christ or get the gospel to a lost person when those two things don't coexist. We have the perfect example in the Lord Jesus that he suspended the use of some of his divine prerogatives while incarnate. That he could die, give his blood, and make redemption of rebels like me and all of you possible. And so I ask you, I ask myself, do we have any rights and freedoms in Christ which we would do well to forego the use of so that a precious lost person can hear the gospel and get saved? It's far better for the lost person to get saved than for you or me to demand the enjoyments of our entitlements in Christ. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the Ukraine. 
I was thinking about the evangelical pastors in the Ukraine, knowing that Russia was coming with military force to try to occupy the Ukraine. Pastors that could have made a way of escape for themselves and their families to get out of the Ukraine before the Russians arrived, who chose to stay in their homes, chose to stay in their churches, to minister the gospel to the lost in the Ukraine, that they would come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. Is there a right or a freedom in Christ, the use of which we ought to suspend or even surrender to get the good news that Christ has died for sins and arisen from the dead to persons who are careening their way through life to hell. And so we have seen six life lessons today. If we just close it here, we may have gotten smarter, but we haven't gotten more like Jesus. And I'm not satisfied with you getting smarter. Along with you, I want us to get more like Jesus. So what do we do with these six lessons? Well, first of all, I challenge myself and I challenge you that at this particular stage in your learning to be a fully committed follower of Christ, that you would pick one of these six lessons to work on with the Holy Spirit's help this week. You ready? Let's go back. Lesson one was most usually quitting has consequences. Some of you may be sitting here this morning, and this week you have a decision to make whether you're going to continue something you don't like and is hard, or you can continue doing it. You're facing a decision, will I quit or will I not quit? You need to pray, to seek the mind of God, search the scriptures, where pertinent, and ask a believer who's a little further down the road following Jesus than you and get their opinion about whether you ought to quit or not. You need to take a realistic inventory of what will be the consequences if I quit that particular thing. And think long term, not just immediate. Maybe that's the application for some here today. The second life lesson, sometimes the Lord divides to multiply. There may be some people in the sound of my voice that have certain accumulated assets, belongings, comforts, familiarities, routines that God intends to divide, disrupt, And God intends to divide those things, not because he's mean, but because he wants to multiply in your life. This week, make it a matter of prayer. If you have a hunch that God wants to divide something you hold dear for his glory. Number three, opinions are different than convictions. If you are here today, and if the truth be told, you are in a disagreement with another person, there's not a harmony between you. 
there's not an ease of interchange like there used to be. If you have a disagreement with someone, could it be that this week the Holy Spirit wants you to get alone with God in your Bible and determine whether the disagreement is based on different opinions or different convictions? If you determine that the disagreement between you and the other person is about opinions, then hold your opinions lightly. They're just opinions. Don't let them cause a disagreement with a person who has a different opinion. But if the basis of your disagreement is solid, and for you to compromise about a conviction based on the scriptures, hold on to the conviction tightly with grace and kindness, not meanness, but hold on to your conviction tightly without apology. But you gotta sort out which it is, an opinion or a conviction, because they're not the same. Fourth life lesson, there is significant ministry work for young persons to do. I challenged you last week, when was the last time you stopped a child in the parking lot or in the hallway or in the sanctuary when it's appropriate and just looked them in their little eyes and said you love them and you're glad they're part of Calvary Bible Church? When was the last time you did that? If there is significant work for young, born-again persons to do in our fellowship, then we need to help them find that work. Do you have a ministry where you could bring along a young person as a helper to watch you do your ministry? Not teaching the Bible, but come along. Just come alongside and observe how I do this or how I do that. Could you do that? What would it make you feel like if you were 10 years old and somebody identified you and said, would you like to come with me on this, this ministry and just watch what I do? It would make you feel significant. It would make you believe you have a future in God's service. It would make you feel as though you matter. That's very important. Maybe the application for some of us is to prayerfully identify that young person and then to go to their parents perhaps to see if there's clearance to go ahead and make the next step, which is Johnny, your mommy and daddy agree that it would be good if you wanted to follow me around and watch how I do this ministry. Would you like to do that? Fifth life lesson. Persons can really only endorse persons that they know. We're not a big church. That's one of our advantages. One of our advantages to being the size that we are is that we ought to know one another. But even in a church our scale, it's possible not to be known because we don't want to be known. How well do people know you in the fellowship here? How well do you want to be known? The only way that we're going to get to know each other in a meaningful way is if we are together in ways that promote conversation and sharing and praying and crying and laughing and serving Christ. That's what our small groups are about. If I'm talking to you and you're saying, boy, you know, I've been coming here since Hector was a pup, but 
I don't, I, I don't think I could ask anybody in this assembly to write a reference letter for me because no, nobody really knows me. You want to get past that, get into a small group. Be known, be knowable. When, the, when we dismiss a service, some of us go out of here like we've been shot out of a gun. The car's off the parking lot before the Lord's benediction. You can't get to be known if you operate like that. You can't. Do you need to be better known in the assembly? Then be knowable, better knowable. Small group. Sixth life lesson. Sometimes giving up the use of one's rights and freedoms in Christ can serve a bigger purpose. Maybe you can think this week, what are my main purposes in life? Why am I still here? Why didn't God take me home to glory when I saved me? Why am I still given breath and heartbeats? Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? Maybe you could identify what you understand to be the top three purposes of your life at this point in your redeemed life. Top three purposes. Then you can take the next step, say, do I have to give up the use of any of my rights and freedoms in Christ to achieve those purposes? God's word is so applicable. It's so life-changing. And I trust that we're helped not just to be smarter. It's not good enough. But to be different. To be different. To be more like Jesus. More like Jesus today than I was yesterday, but not as much like Jesus as I will be tomorrow. Heavenly Father, thank you for this choice congregation. My brothers and my sisters in Christ, the incredible body of Christ, thank you, Lord, for how you're working in us to will and to do your good pleasure. Help us to be obedient, attentive, risk-takers, prayerful, humble, teachable, knowable. Sort out our opinions and call out our opinions from our convictions, disagreements over opinions. May they melt this week. Oh, Lord, do what only you can do in the heart of the, of the man behind the pulpit, in the heart of all the brothers and sisters in the pew and on the live stream. And we ask this for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.